Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy Marty here to introduce this week's sponsor. You already know all about them, the Cash App, helping us stack sats. The Cash App has been the number one finance app in the app stores for the last two years, and it's the first P2P payments app to let you freaks buy Bitcoin. You can stack sats via the app pretty easily. It's my favorite way to do it these days. Um, and then when you're ready to take custody into your own hands and you're comfortable of custodying your UTXOs, uh, you can easily send it to your ledger, your Trezor, your Electrum wallet, whatever the wallet of your choice is, and take uh, your monetary sovereignty into your own hands. On top of this, they have the incredible Boost program, which comes with a personalized debit card. Uh, you can write your signature, you can write Bitcoin, you can do whatever you want with that. But once you have that debit card, you can use the Boost program. You turn on your Boost, whether it be for Whole Foods, Chick-fil-A, Chipotle, your local coffee shop, uh, and save some money. And then maybe if you save that money, maybe uh, you automatically convert that into, into sats. Maybe one day they'll have sats back. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Um, so go to the uh, App Store, whether it's Google Play or the Apple App Store, and download Cash App today. Hope you freaks enjoy this interview with Andrew Torba. Um, I know I certainly did. Uh, a very interesting man uh, fighting a very, very admirable fight in my mind. Hope you freaks enjoy. Tales from the Crypt. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent in some random hotel in the fashion district of Manhattan, New York. A very foreign studio. This uh, this interview came together, I believe, twelve hours ago. Maybe, eh, probably like sixteen hours ago. I'd like to introduce you, freaks, to the founder. CEO of Gab.com, Andrew how's, Torba. How's it going, everybody? Thanks I for joining. Yeah, I appreciate you coming out here. It's a last-minute thing, but I'm glad that we could get this done. I'm pumped to get this done uh, because you are a man who's uh, drawn the ire of a lot of uh, online haters because of what you're doing with Gab. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, this is Tales from the Crypt. Our tale is usually about how you came to find Bitcoin, but I'm more interested about why you came to to found gab and we'll get to bitcoin later so yeah i could talk about that as well yeah yeah we'll get to that we've got plenty of time so sure. gab what uh what is the reasons behind starting it and and what sort of sent you down this path sure so uh my last company was in ad tech uh and we were working very closely with facebook with twitter with google on their ads apis so i have a lot of friends inside of facebook twitter and google and you know, in the run-up to the 2016 election, I was very active on uh, the Donald subreddit. Um, I was very active on Twitter. I had a lot of sock accounts and stuff um, because I had to, you know, keep my my politics to myself. Uh, and that was true when I was in Silicon Valley as well. So, you know, as a Christian, as a conservative Republican, it's uh, it's something that you you, you tend to, to self-censor about, especially if you're in Silicon Valley or really any major city, uh, which is sad, but it just it was the reality at the time. And up, up to the 2016 election, I started to see uh, a lot of this censorship start to happen. Some weird stuff happening on the Donald where, you know, things weren't appearing on the top page that were trending and were breaking news and random stuff being pulled down and the CEO going in and editing stuff about himself and just shady stuff. Alexis right? O'Honor? Huh? Alexis O'Honor? No, no, it was, it was Spez. Okay. Yeah, so uh, just weird stuff. And then obviously the, the manipulation of trends on Twitter and... and um, you know, people like Milo getting banned and stuff like that, like that, that had never happened. So Silicon Valley had always, 
you know, touted free speech and, and individual liberty and American values for the past decade. And all of a sudden they just did this about face, you know, during the rise of, of Brexit and during the rise of Donald Trump and, and this populist movement that's happening really all around the world. Um, and I said, you know, we can sit here and whine about this <laughs> or we can build a solution. And I said, I'm going to build a solution. I don't see anybody else building. Um, we have this illusion of choice where we have, you know, the top 20 apps in the app store are really owned by like three companies. Um, you know, consumers don't know that Facebook owns Instagram. They own WhatsApp. <laughs> they own all of it, right? So you think that you're using different apps, but you're not. You're using apps that are owned all by the same company. I said, well, I'm just going to found my own. And, uh, you know, free market, right? You don't like it, go build your own is the, is the saying. And that's exactly what I did. And uh, I would learn that the market isn't so free <laughs> very quickly. Why do you say that? Well, first of all, with mobile app distribution, uh, Apple and Google own 98% of mobile app distribution. So that that's not a free market. That's a duopoly. And um, they refuse to allow us into the app store, even though we're compliant with their app store guidelines. We went out of our way to become compliant with their app store guidelines, uh, probably even more so than some of the apps that exist today. Um, and they still won't let us on. And they have direct partnerships with Twitter, with obviously uh, Google has YouTube. So, you know, we're kind of competing with some of their partners and some of their core products. So I, I see that as them abusing their market power uh, to stifle competition, which, you know, antitrust, where you at? So do you have to use like F-Droid to... Uh... Uh, we were sideloading for a while, mm -hmm. uh, but we started focusing a lot of our, our uh, product initiative on mobile web and doing things like uh, a lot of people don't know you can add a, a Safari bookmark to your iOS home screen mm -hmm. and it will open up and it looks and feels and operates like a native app. The only thing you don't get is push notifications. So we've been focusing on that and um, it's actually worked really well and it's, it's incredible that we've gone to now almost a million members without any apps on the app store as a social network in 2019. It's just wild, but it is what it is. It shows the demand that's there. It does. And I've got a couple questions based off of that, that line of thinking right there. So one, uh, obviously a lot, these social networks, these companies, these entrenched Silicon Valley companies have huge market share, huge mind share, and sort of uh, an entrenched Lindy effect, if you will. We're talking Bitcoin, Lindy effect comes up. Uh, sure. What is it like? How's it been trying to get people to use Gab and switch? Because there is switching costs, mental costs, stuff right. like that. Like myself, like I'm. I have a Gab account, but I, I don't go on it too often, sure, to be sure. honest. Like, yeah, I think, um, you know, from day one, we've welcomed everybody, right? We, we I, I didn't want Gab to be a conservative only or, first of all, technology does not have a, a political ideology. Technology is uh, politically agnostic. Um, but, you know, inevitably, we started getting people who were banned from other sites. And increasingly, um, as more and more people are being banned, we're starting to see our community shift from... Uh, center right into more of a centrist and center left because now it's not only people on the quote-unquote far right that are being banned but it's um you know centrist and and people that are in the center left or even people that are apolitical that just happen to post a, a wrong thing on the internet um, so i think that as this starts to accelerate people are starting to wake up and some of their favorite content creators can't be found anywhere else but on gab so they're signing up and uh they're following them and they're starting to post and i think that um really for us the, the next step is about access technology and that's that's what the browser is about is um you know we fundamentally have to build our own access technology like at first i just wanted to build a social network but it turns out now i have to build uh, payments infrastructure i have to build uh, hosting i have to find a new dns uh, all of it so 
Um, that's the next step for me is, is providing the access technology as a, a top of the funnel uh, driver to back to Gab, and I think that's that's working phenomenally so so far with the the browser, and it's it's only in, in alpha. I don't say beta, I say alpha. <laughs> and ah, again, there's so many. We're gonna get down all these paths. So the first path is why do you think these these institutions are censoring so hard? Like uh, a big theme on this podcast is that we're boring and we've been born into this inflection point right. predicated around the internet. Things are changing at a pace at which they've never changed in human history. Right. And to me, it seems like it's just entrenched power, hierarchical power, trying to cling on to the power that they do have. That's Yeah, that's exactly what it's about is, um, you know, all these companies are based in, in one central location. Uh, you want to talk about centralization. I don't think that uh, there's anything more centralized than, uh, than the technology industry is today. And I think that's rapidly changing. Um, you know, we have developers from all over the world who are, are helping us uh, with Gab. Um, and I, I think that that is the, the future forward where you don't have to be in this centralized location. There are people all around the world who, um, you know, share the values that we share, uh, you know, f free speech for everybody, um, privacy rights, uh, you know, the ability to uh, access information. Um, and this censorship, it's, it's really all, it's all about control. You nailed it. Um, it's just, they're losing their power. They're losing their power to, uh, influence and, and to control narratives. Um, and you know, somebody could be out in the street and, and be at an event that is happening right now and, and give you the truth, um, versus, you know, seeing the quote unquote framed truth on CNN and if they want to spin it or whatever. So they, they don't have that power anymore to, to control the narrative around situations or around political movements or any of that. And uh, that scares them because it's a threat to their power. So that's why we're seeing this. Yeah. And it's, uh, it seems like it's getting to a point where it's, and I think this is why your gab exists and dissenter exists now where we have to fight back and, and fight for our rights, uh, which is right. at a time I wrote uh, an article in the daily newsletter that I write yesterday about Brad Sherman coming out against uh, Bitcoin, and right. it's like if we if we want this stuff, we have to fight it. We have to build yes. it. And uh, there's uh, the crux of my argument is like there's been an entropy in America around freedom since since the Declaration of Independence was right. was signed, and we've gotten so far away from that that I, I don't think the system is is able to be saved from within. So well, I, I think we take it for granted too. Um, you know, try being a Christian in China. Um, try being gay in any Middle Eastern country, right? You know, we could openly talk about these things. We can be who we want to be here. But unless we defend our fundamental civil liberties and, and, and human rights, to be able to talk about stuff, first and foremost, that's that's priority number one. Because when you lose your ability to talk about things, there's there's no way to fight back. You can't, you, can't, uh, you know, when they come for your speeches first, and then they're going to come for your guns, and then they're going to come for your privacy. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's, an, it's an escalation effect. And I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to grow up. Uh, I don't want my kids to grow up on an internet where it's controlled by like two or three companies who you know decide what we can talk about and what we can't and um, what information we can access and can't and what is news and what isn't. Um, that's that's not a world that I want to live in and that's why I'm building. Um, I think you know there's a lot of people now. This issue when I first started talking about this back in 2016 and you know kind of raising the alarm like hello this is happening. What are we doing? This is insane. We have American citizens who are being silenced on the internet by corporations that have a monopoly, a duopoly. Uh, on uh, information on uh, every vertical in technology and in infrastructure this is madness like why is no one talking about this and now we're getting to the point where the president of the united states is tweeting about this issue this is a major campaign issue for 2020 for both the left and the right talking about big tech talking about the censorship um, which is great but 
we can't just talk about it. We have to build. Um, nobody else is building, right? And and people rag on Gab a lot, and criticism is fine and, and whatever, but, um, you know, at least we're building, right? Like, I, I don't see anybody else stepping up to the plate and building something, building real solutions. Everybody likes to just whine about problems and not actually build a solution to them, and that's, that's what I'm focused on. Well, that's why I think Bitcoiners in particular are drawn towards Gab or, and we're sort of rooting for gab is because we were, we find ourselves in a similar situation right we're, yeah we're exactly. trying to build the financial side of it yeah. well it's, it's the same thing i mean you look at the the uh the start of bitcoin and you know you look at the silk road and um bitcoin got smeared a lot too oh it's only used by criminals and it's the same thing that happened to gab right oh it's only used by the the far right and um you know slowly it's uh it's it's becoming more about it's for everybody and it's about freedom and it's about uh individual sovereignty and all these these things that we take for granted as americans that I want to outsource uh, American privacy to to people around the world. I want to outsource First Amendment protections that we have as an American company to people around the world who don't have those things. Um, I think, you know, Silicon Valley is very, very hypocritical. Uh, You see um, the Arab Spring, for example, where it was literally called the Twitter revolution. And, and free speech is great when, when uh, it's, it's powering an Arab revolution, but now we're seeing a populist revolution happen um, you know, in the West, and now it's not okay suddenly, and now we have to start cracking down and banning people and shadow banning and demonetizing people that are pushing um, fundamental liberties, to be honest. They're not even pushing like violence or anything illegal per se. They're just pushing a different political opinion that the people in power happen to disagree with. Yeah, and it's uh, so you spent some time in the belly of the beast. I think uh, not yes. too many people know, but you you spent some time at Y Combinator. Yes, yeah, my last company we were a Y Combinator company, and for those of you who don't know, Y Combinator is basically like the the Harvard of uh, of tech accelerators. Um, so I, I was in the inner circle of inner circles. I was in the belly of the beast. I spent a lot of time at all of these companies, um, you know, working with people in these companies. So. I, I know how they think. I know what their agenda is. I know how they act. And, um, you know, it's it's great to be out of that belly. Of the beast. <laughs> uh, when I found a gab, I was like, OK, I got I got to get out of San Francisco. Now, right? One in particular um, of their mindset sort of uh, perturbed you. Um, the group think, to be honest, it's uh, it's it's like it's a little bubble and um, they think that their way of thinking is the only way to think and their political ideology is, is the only political ideology that is uh, has merit. And the, the moral superiority is really what gets me. Um, you know, a lot of them obviously went to Ivy League schools and stuff and they, they think that because they they had that privilege uh, that they are superior in, in uh, morality and in wisdom that they should be the benevolent dictators over the entire internet and, and over what is news and, and what, what what information we're allowed to access, what we're allowed to talk about, what links we're allowed to share. Um, and I just, I think that's that's fundamentally wrong. And it's, it's not what the internet uh, ha- has been for decades. And it has slowly become more and more centralized, which I think is bad. Um, not only centralized in, uh, you know, the technical sense, but centralized in just location too. It's like all of these major companies are all in one city. <laughs> like That's a problem. You know, you have, you have, uh, you have technology that's used by billions of people and it's, it's controlled by a handful of, of them that all share the same political ideology, the same beliefs. They think the same way and uh, they shun anybody who doesn't think like them. And, you know, we're seeing that manifest itself with, with these bands and stuff now. Revenge of the Nerds, not as funny as we thought it was going to be. So let's jump into your your college major. You double double majored in philosophy and political science, correct? 
Um, I ended up dropping the poli sci because I, I was starting a business and doing a double major being in the honors program. I dropped the honors program too. Um, and then I had a, a minor in entrepreneurship. So I just stuck with the philosophy, which, um, uh, a lot of people balk at and say, well, what are you going to do with that? Well, I use it every day. Um, you know, writing, critical thinking, um, being able to, to speak uh, clearly and concisely, all of those things I use every single day. Um, and just uh, being able to, to study some of the greatest thinkers in history um, it was really pivotal and, and uh, influential on, on my thinking and, and uh, my approach to life. As a, I was an econ major, but I spent every elective I could on philosophy classes, and it's um, <laughs> it, it's addicting once you get into it. It is, and been reading more philosophy books like after college and, and diving into it, and Stoics in particular. Sort Stoicism of is really coming back. Yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of like the hip new. It's really way of simple now. Yeah. It's really simple. Uh, just yeah. be a good person is basically. Yeah. And, and so what? Who? What thinkers in particular? Uh, sort of form your. Oh, your I, I think. I think uh, the classic Socrates is uh, is the perfect example of, of uh, someone who was censored <laughs> for wrong think, uh, not only censored but killed, um, it, you starved know, to death, right, or poisoned. Yeah, po well, yeah, he had to starve then poisoned. He, no, he had to kill himself with the with the poison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, and by the way, he he could have escaped as well, um, but he didn't. He he chose to to take the punishment because if he was going to stand up for for justice, how why would he you know. Um, be hypocritical and, and run from justice uh, you know the people had spoken uh, whether it was right or wrong obviously it was wrong um, but I think you know we see a lot of uh, similarities in in what he went through uh, today you know he was he was a wrong thinker right <laughs> he was he was literally put to death for wrong think um, and you know we see a lot of people uh, facing similar similar trials today uh, thankfully they're not being put to death yet but <laughs> in some countries that that actually does happen. Um, and again, we take that for granted here. That well, we take it for granted, and it's scary because this stuff's a slippery slope. Like, we're seeing it slowly in uh, United Kingdom with hate speech. Like, yes. what the fuck is hate speech? I don't know. Um, the Supreme Court says that it is free speech. And unanimously, by the way, you know, you have a, a divided court on pretty much every major social issue, every major, any issue that comes up, it's, it's a divided court, right, left and right. But they were unanimous on this one, which was, you know, hate speech is free speech. Whatever hate speech is, it's free speech. And this term hate speech, it didn't even exist 100 years ago. You know, you go back 100 years and, and say, well, why, why are you saying hate speech? They're going to be like, what? Like, what is that? It's like this absurd concept. Now, are there hateful people in the world? Sure. Is there hateful rhetoric? Sure. But who am I uh, to decide what that is? Uh, I'm not a judge. I'm not a jury. You know, I'm not the executioner. I don't want to be. Um, I want people to decide for themselves if they um, think that something is hateful, uh, then they can choose to not. You know, consume that content, not follow that person, block that person, right? You have individual liberty. Freedom of association goes with freedom of expression. That's, uh, I feel like the concept of freedom of, associ of association has gone way over the head of much of the public. Like, you do not have to listen to this stuff. You exactly. do not have to read this stuff. You can ignore people. Change the channel. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, turn off the TV, you know? So, like, I get offended by CNN and MSNBC whenever... I happen to be in an airport at, right. at my in-laws, and it comes on TV, and I'm just and like... You, you can't turn it off there, right? right? <laughs> you could just kind of look away or put in your headphones, but yeah, I think uh, the freedom of association thing, people people tend to, to neglect. Um, you know, We in particular, and obviously a lot of the other social networks, give people the tools to shape their own experience, and that's how it should be. Um, if you don't want to see something, block it. If you, you can even get down to muting individual words on Gab and, and now on Twitter. If you don't want to see certain words, you can mute those and then you never see them. So like, what's the problem, right? Like if other people want to see edgy content or 
um, you know, that's the other thing too, is I'm a big fan of comedy, right? And I think you can measure the, uh, the health of free expression in a society by what comedians are allowed to get away with <laughs> and uh, by who the popular comedians are. And, you know, you look at the popular comedians now and it's like Amy Schumer talking about her bowel movements. And <laughs> I, I just, I don't find that funny. First of all, I, I don't, I don't understand how she's a mainstream comedian. And most of my, uh, you know, most of my favorite comedians are, are not mainstream comedians. They're, you know, they're anonymous accounts on, on Gab or, or on Twitter. You know? <laughs> Titiana Mc, McGrath. Right. Yeah. Parody accounts, which mm-hmm. are now, by the way, getting banned. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's insane. Like overt parody. Oh, literally says parody in the, the headline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy, but it is what it is. It is what it is, but it's scary because, and again, this is another topic we talk a lot about, and this is touching on what we mentioned earlier, like you have to build your way out of this fight for Mm -hmm. it. Like you have a path right now. You could choose to become dystopian China or your facial recognition or jaywalking, or we can build these systems that that sort of let us hold our sovereignty and our individualism. Um, So that's, uh, I guess that's a good topic to jump into now. It seems like the the concept of individualism of extreme ownership over yourself and your your being and your your house is is something that's been led astray it's yeah. Been, yeah it's dying yeah, it's di- it's a dying it's a dying it's very sad um you know uh, individual sovereignty the the belief in the individual is is uh, is a fundamental um cornerstone uh, of american society and and of western culture um and, civilized and, society i yeah, would say absolutely absolutely and um it, it's really sad that you know, if, if you happen to belong to a certain certain race or you happen to have a certain sexuality, you're now grouped in with everybody that shares that. And if you don't, you know, have the politics of X Y Z group or X Y Z race, you're a traitor uh, and you're you're ostracized. Yeah, the Venn diagram of what you have to agree with with uh, to be on the far left is is getting wider and wider. You have to the the the, the Rainbow Coalition is consuming itself. Yes, you have to be okay with letting six year olds transition now. It's 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 beyond it's uh, you know it's sick it's it, and it's it's getting into our schools uh it's getting into our culture um and it's uh it's something that you're not allowed to to speak up about either and if you do you I, know I, you're I, fired or <laughs> i felt compelled to speak up about it for some reason cnbc has been uh retweeting a tweet of the, the drag kid mm-hmm. uh who was at the gay pride parade and was like basically dancing for older men and right getting yeah. money thrown at them now if that was a young girl exactly right if that if that was like a 10 year old i had this conversation this. with my wife mm-hmm. where she was like oh it's not that bad like what are you doing? he's just being himself and i was like imagine if we had a daughter and she mm-hmm. was doing that. yeah oh yeah and no, i'm about like, to it, have a daughter it was immediately like yeah. oh yeah that's not horrify right. me yep right but yeah. for some reason like they're trying to normal it seems mm-hmm. not- yeah don't don't they're going after the kids that's that's the problem uh, and they're going after them in a lot of ways. And that, that's why they're doing a lot of this, this censorship, too, is because they know that the kids are on social media. You know, they're not sitting in front of the TV. I haven't had a cable subscription in six plus years. Um, a lot of millennials don't have cable subscriptions, so they can't influence us in the normal channels. And they have to crack down now because the kids are sitting on YouTube all day watching, you know, these, these content creators who are calling out this stuff as absurd because it is. And um, they can't allow that to happen because it, it, it messes with their agenda. So. Yeah, and it's, and again, it's uh, there's a lot of, like the normalization of of hate speech of things like being okay with letting little kids transition and stuff like that. It seems like again, like if you don't agree with the whole party line, like you you get right, you get labeled as a as a 
is a zealot, basically. Well, it's it's happening to the left, too. Uh, I mean, you see feminists now who, I think they call them TERFs, where if they don't want um, uh, trans women uh, you know, being involved in, in feminism, they see it as kind of a, a takeover, like a hostile takeover type deal, from what I understand. They're ostracized, right? And, and we've seen those type of feminists banned, which is it's crazy, because censorship inevitably comes for everybody who steps outside the party line. Um, and it's now starting to, to, to hit people on the left as well. No, another. Which, by the way, they're welcome on Gab too. Everybody is. It's we don't ask for uh, your political ideology at sign up. <laughs> and you're welcome on Tales from the Crypt too. But it's like feminism in particular too. Like uh, the hijabs also like becoming a, mm-hmm. a yep. sort of delineation of are you a feminist or not? Like right. you have Iranian women taking off their hijabs and in protest, and right. then uh, quote unquote feminist here in the states thinking it's a sign of a of modesty. Power. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Power. So yep. it's. Uh, I don't know. I'm worried. I'm worried about the future. I'm happy that you're building things. Someone has to. <laughs> what? <laughs> Someone has to do right? it, you know? But let's let's dive into like are you a neo Nazi trying to take take over the world? No. I'm absolutely <laughs> no. I I'm a <laughs> I'm a classical liberal, if anything. Um yeah, liberal in the old sense. You know, individual liberty uh, for everybody. Um, you know, by the way, including communists, including Nazis. Uh, I fundamentally believe that the best way to fight back against hateful ideology, hateful speech, is with more speech, right? Like it's if logic, right? With, with more, you, if you, if these people are not exposed to other ideas or to counter arguments, it's this stuff is just going to fester and build. And by the way, if people can't express themselves with words on the internet what's their next move violence in the real world and we're starting to see this manifest um and that's not a world that i want to live in that's why i fight so hard is because if we if you keep silencing these people you know they're gonna go to the streets um they're gonna get violent and let them post whatever the heck they want as long as it's legal as long as they're not themselves you know making threats or uh doxing people you know common sense stuff right like follow the law um, well, then what's the harm, right? Like, you know, if, if they're not exposed to other ideas, then that stuff is just going to fester and build and build and build, and they're going to express it in other ways um, and take it to the real world. So I'm not trying to dive into any conspiracy theories, but, like, do you think it is a conscious effort by these uh, entrenched social media companies and search engines uh, that are sort of, imbuing their views on their users or do you think it's a a mandate from the government like hey we can't have this happen we need your help here (laughs) well like the deep state or something yeah um yeah i i I think you know i think it's a lot more common sense than that i think it's uh the advertisers uh are putting pressure on them and saying like we don't want to advertise on uh these wrong think channels because it's going to cause controversy for us um i think it's just all about the money fundamentally is is they're getting pushback from their advertisers who are you know that's that's who they answer to uh, and also their shareholders too you look at twitter which is you know they got a nice chunk of ownership by a saudi prince um 80 of their user base is international so they have foreign governments who are saying like if you want to still operate here uh you better do this and um in our case you know we don't have that we're only based in the u.s um, we're a U.S. company, so we have U.S. privacy laws. We have the First Amendment. Um, we regularly turn down uh, data requests and censorship requests from foreign governments all the time. Um, I think that's part of our value add is um, if you're somebody who's in the U.K. Uh, and, and you want to speak freely on the Internet without having the government come and knock down your door and, and arrest you, um, then you could do so on Gab, you know, as long as you're not threatening any violence or anything crazy, right? Um, if you're just 
expressing your political opinion that happens to be politically incorrect or happens to be something that the government doesn't like, uh, like criticizing the migrant crisis, for example, uh, you can do so on Gab without worrying about your data being handed over to the feds uh, uh, and then them knocking on your door and throwing you in jail, which, by the way, is happening. It's happening in the UK. Like, it's crazy. It's happening at an increasing pace. Yes. Like comments on Facebook are sending people to jail. Correct. Yes. <laughs> this is insanity. And, and, and it's not like the comments are like them threatening to kill somebody or anything like that. It's just like their political opinion. It's crazy. I think I saw one dude get a, a knock on the door from the British cops because he said like he didn't agree with the immigrant policy. That's right. basically all he said. That's all he said. Yeah. <laughs> saw that. It's and, crazy. Right. Uh, that's insane. And, and so the... Another crux of the problem here is that these companies have the ability to sort of instill these policies on their users. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. Bitcoin is sort of, in my mind, the first emergence of something where it's like, holy shit, this is totally nobody can, no right. one entity or central authority can uh, influence this network. Right. And actually, I know we're talking a lot of shit on Twitter and these companies. I interviewed Jack Dorsey a few months ago. and. Mm-hmm. Speaking with him, you could even see it in his eyes when we were talking about like the early days of Twitter. It seems like he had like a nostalgic sort of. Uh, I'm sure he does. I, memory of it. He he described it as like a protocol in the early yep. days, and he misses that feel where that's it almost, it's almost like he didn't have control. He doesn't have control. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's not a majority shareholder. Uh, Zuckerberg is. You know, he still has 60% voting rights and stuff. So there's really no excuse for him. Um, but Jack is, is not in a position of power. You know, he may be CEO by title, but he doesn't have the power that, um, you know, uh, somebody with majority voting share like myself or like Mark Zuckerberg does. Um, and that's, that's, it's really sad because you can tell, you can, you can see in his eyes, you can see in some of the interviews that he's doing that he doesn't like this stuff. I don't think he agrees with a lot of the censorship. Um, you know, Twitter used to call themselves the, the free speech wing of the free speech party. And, you know, they stood 100% by the First Amendment principles and all this stuff. And, you know, as they started scaling and after they went public and you know, now they have to appease advertisers, they have to appease the Saudi shareholder that they have, etc. Uh, they have to appease the foreign governments because the majority of their user base is international, as I mentioned. So I think, uh, you know, his hands are kind of tied in, in a lot of situations. Um which I think is, is is why he's excited about Bitcoin because it kind of gives him like a second chance to to uh, to, to uh, express himself through uh, these values that I think he does share. I really do. I think he actually does believe in freedom of speech for everybody. Um, you see the interview with Joe Rogan where you know they were talking about shining a light on on the the negative stuff to to cleanse it and whatever, um, which is my exact argument. You know, more speech versus the censorship and trying to push it into the shadows. Um, so I empathize with Jack because, uh, you know, I, I as, a, as a public face of a social network, I, I can empathize with him. Um, you deal with a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff that you can't talk about and a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes and a lot of stuff that involves your family. Um, you know, I've been doxxed and swatted and plenty of death threats and, and stuff like that that you just uh, most people don't know about. But it's a cross that I carry to, to defend, uh, you know, the civil liberties and the fundamental human rights that, that I believe everybody should have on the Internet. You've been swatted? Yeah. yeah. What yeah. was that experience like? Well, my parents were, actually. Fuck. Yeah, it wasn't fun. Uh, you know, I got a call from my mom. She said the FBI is here, and someone put an ISIS uh, bomb threat on their house. They had to close down the local elementary school, and it just it wasn't fun. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's the thing I hate, too, is that you come after me, fine. Criticize me, fine. You want to, you know, sling stuff at me, fine. Leave my family out of it. You know, that's uh, that's not cool. Um, 
you know, but they're, they're tough too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I've had their full support from day one and, um, uh, very blessed to, to have nothing horrific happen. Uh, a lot of scares, but, but, um, you know, thankfully we're, we're, we're protected and everything's been all right. Well, I'm happy to hear that. That's shit scary. It's really scary. Yep. Some yeah. asshole can just call up the FBI and send yep. them to your house. Yep. Without any cause or reason. Well, they, they actually sent it to the local news stations. Yeah. It was, it was not fun. They sent it to the news station. <laughs> yeah, they sent the threat to the news station, and the address was my, my parents' house. So. Jesus Christ. Yeah, not fun at all. Um, it's the reality of the situation, and, and I'm sure Jack deals with this stuff every day, too. Um, so I can empathize with him on that. And, um, again, I, he just doesn't have the control. And uh, speaking of protocols, like he, he I, I did listen to your interview with him, and, and um, I, I think you're right. Early, early days of Twitter, it was like a protocol when their API was very open and stuff. Um, but of course they had to kind of stop that because they wanted the eyeballs in their app and not in these third party apps where, you know, they could sell the ads to them and stuff. We don't have to worry about that, thankfully. Um, but where we're moving now is, is towards a, more of a protocol as well. So we're moving Gab basically to, to full open source. Um, you know, we, we obviously have the browser, which is, uh, the fork of Brave, which is ours is fully open source. Um, we have Bitcoin, which is fully open source, which we're going to be building on. Uh, the Decenter extension itself is fully open source. And now we're in the process of moving Gab to an existing open source protocol. And uh, our fork of it will be totally open source as well. So it's going to be exciting. Yeah, you were describing this business model to me before we hit record. It's uh, forking open source software and yes. building on that. So what what uh, what made you come to this realization that this is sort of the best way to leverage these these open source softwares well it's about working smart and not hard right and it's about um maximizing what you can do with limited resources so if we have a team of five now and we fork a bunch of open source projects that are being worked on by hundreds of engineers and maintained and and uh and we can continue to just uh you know maintain that stuff and and pull it down into our forks uh i think that's a, a a pretty smart business move it's a pretty smart uh, move uh, for making gab even more anti-fragile um so you know for example we open source all of our stuff and if something happens to me if something happens to gab as a company uh gab as an idea lives on and you know people from around the world can keep building on it and and hopefully sticking to our principles so that's that's the idea is just make it more anti-fragile um and outsource a lot of the development um and being nimble and um thinking outside the box too because i mean you'll never see twitter open source their whole code base you'll never see facebook do this um and that's why we're doing it is uh we want help from developers around the world who share our values who maybe maybe they can't use their real identity to to um either join the company or to uh, express support for the company publicly but they can express it in code uh, anonymously uh, through github or wherever yeah i think you're exploring a model which may work better than the first iteration of the internet. So that's another topic that we talk a lot on Tales from the Crypt is maybe in the first go around the internet, the way we build it was probably not the best ideal way and, and right. not leveraging open source software mm-hmm. as much as should, it should be leveraged. And it seems like people are starting to wake up like, all right, this is, this is probably where the signal is over here. Yep. And these, these tools building on this type of framework. Well, open source has a lot of benefits, right? I, I just touched on some of them. Like, you know, you have this army of people, around the world that are contributing to these projects and helping us by the way whether they like it or not you know <laughs> it's like and uh you know we've seen some some pushback we've been called uh, uh parasites uh for forking open source software 
um, which is kind of bizarre to me because that's the... Who's that's called you a parasite? Uh, Brendan Ike from, from, from Brave has called us parasites. You should not worry about what shit coiners think of you. Oh, I don't. I don't <laughs> at all. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's just a big tell. You know, it's, it's a tell when um, you have the, the co-founder of JavaScript and the co-founder of Mozilla um, and the CEO of a company that raised $42 million uh, and has a, a shit coin that has a $500 million market cap sitting on Twitter all day, uh, coming after an upstart that happened to uh, fork their open source software and, and calling us parasites. And my mentions are just filled with, uh, with brave engineers and with brave CEO all day long. And I just, I just laugh because it means we're a threat. You put the code out there. What do they expect? Exactly. That's, that's how open source projects tend to work. You, know, you figure if you're in software engineering for 20 plus years, uh, you would understand that, but um, it is what it is. And you've had a... Other leaders of projects come at you as well, particularly Ethereum. Didn't Vitalik and VJ double team you <laughs> a couple of years ago? Yeah, or a year ago? yeah, that that was that was another saga. Uh, I tend to I tend to really piss off shitcoiners for some reason. I know it's um, it, but you know it's something that like with Brave for example, like when Brave first launched, like I was I was a huge fan. I I was like this is awesome. Like it's they're incredible. gonna they're gonna block ads. They're gonna block trackers. They have Bitcoin integrated. Like I'm all in. And then all of a sudden, like this ICO came out of nowhere and this like model around advertising. And I'm just like, oh, like what happened here? So, you know, there's a reason that we fork Brave because I'm a big fan of Brave Browser. I am not a fan of Bat. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just a fundamental disagreement on business model. They want to sell user data to advertisers. And, you know, of course, their pushback is, well, the data is stored locally and it's anonymous and da, da, da. it doesn't matter. That's still your business model. And like, you know, I can fill out online surveys and, and make, you know, a couple bucks a day versus if you do the math of getting five ads an hour on, on brave and getting paid in bat, which you can't cash out. Um, you're going to get like what, 40 cents a day or something. It's the incentive. And they're like, Oh, the, 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 the user gets the lion's share of the ad revenue. And it's like, okay, it's like 40 cents, dude. Like, <laughs> sorry, I don't want to see ads for 40 cents. I don't want to see ads for five bucks. You know, like, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fundamentally flawed model. And I think advertising has ruined a lot of the internet. And people take for granted, they think that advertising is the only business model on the internet. And it's absolutely not. And I think that's where things like Lightning Network and Bitcoin come into play of cutting out that middleman of the advertiser and creating this peer-to-peer -peer exchange of value between audience and content creator. And that's, that's where we're going. Yeah, it's something we're experimenting with here at TFTC too. We just put up a website and using BTC pay server to see if we can get a user contributor model mm -hmm. um, to wean off some ads and we'll, we'll see how it goes, but it's possible now at Bitcoin. I hooked yep. it up to BTC pay server, hooked that up to a Trezor and if people decide to contribute, it's right in my hands, my possession. We're on BTC pay server as well because we've been, uh, we've been banned from Coinbase. We've been banned from BitPay. We've been banned from Square's cash app. Not only, um, the company accounts but also my personal accounts which is telling so it's guilt by association of association right it's uh yeah this episode was brought to you by cash app too so <laughs> <laughs> that's fine that's fine hey make your money man that's fine no it's uh, no problems no it's uh, it's, it's, it's believe it isn't and um, i think we we are philosophically and mentally aligned a lot of and this uh, but it is something like as a somebody who's trying to monetize on the web it's not easy uh, yeah oh, outside yeah. of advertising absolutely no i agree and i think that if if the, the fundamental problem that Bitcoin has right now is um, ease of use um, and, and user experience. Um, you know, people should be able to just input their debit card and, and top up and get Bitcoin. You know, we, th this model already exists, right? If you look at mobile games, 
people will buy credits in mobile games and then use those credits in the game to buy in-game items or whatever. Like, I think the Bitcoin industry, uh, especially developers, need to look at the gaming industry and how this is done and mimic it. Um, uh, because it, most of the people aren't going to, like normal people, like you say sound money to them. And like, what does that mean? Like, can I hear the money? Like literally, like that, like I don't know what that means as a normal person, right? But you tell them that Bitcoin is free speech money and, you know, they get it, right? They're like, oh, like, you know, you, you, you can send money to anybody in the world and you don't need the permission of a bank or a government or any entity to do so. Um, that's, that's interesting and I get it, you know? So I think Bitcoin has a little bit of a branding problem. So we, you know, we should rebrand it as free speech money, in my opinion. No, thank you for signal boosting that meme. Did you start it? I don't want to say I started it. I think I, I helped propel it a little bit. I wrote about it after you tweeted it. Yeah, I remember you, it. in your newsletter, I think I saw that. Um, it, no, it is. That is something like the first decade in. Uh, unfortunately, we had people uh, marketing Bitcoin as basically free, fast, uh, and free, fast, and it, like able to buy coffee like at the protocol level, right. which was which was we're finding uh, probably not the best way to market it considering the limitations of the network. Right. And, you know, also like talk to grandma about blockchain, like what she's not going to understand it, but talk to grandma and say, there's this digital currency that allows you to, uh, you know, send money to anybody without permission from a bank or anything. And she's like, Oh, I'll get that. You know, free yeah. speech money. Oh, cool. No, and it's, uh, I can't like, this is another thing I repeat a lot. Like I, the gravity of this innovation has not been grasped by not at all by most people. No. Like it, it is like new forms of money don't come around around no, not, like every it's few not millennia. That happens every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I think um, you know I, I look to PayPal right, um, mm -hmm. and there was a time where people were so hesitant to use their credit card, use their debit card on the internet, put their bank info on the internet. They just would not do it, um, and PayPal was over to you know, break through that ceiling. Um, and they were able to do it through, uh, email, right? Like that was the first iteration. And then eBay, um, you know, partnering with eBay to, to do payments. And I think if we can bake in lightning into the browser, uh, and empower people to, you know, reward content creators or buy stuff or whatever, um, and make that experience flawless and seamless and easy. Um, I think adoption can really take off. Like we have an opportunity to introduce Bitcoin to a million people from around the world, in our case, um, in, in a way that these big tech companies couldn't do. Like Twitter can't just like turn on Bitcoin tomorrow for 300 million people. It's just, it's not gonna work. They have a lot of problems, but because we're still smaller, um, we can experiment with stuff like this and um, and introduce people to, to new products a lot faster. So when you say Bitcoin native in the browser, what do you mean by that? What kind of functionality are you talking, like uh, node extensions, wallets in the browser? No, that stuff, you know, it's it's probably going to have to be a desktop app, mm -hmm. uh, but that communicates with the browser. So it's running in the background. You install it one time. If, if we can get people to install a browser, which, by the way, is happening uh, at, at a faster rate than I even anticipated, actually, and we're still in, like, alpha testing here. Uh, we haven't even had a general release. I just put out a couple of tweets and a couple of gabs, and, you know, we have tens of thousands of people installing this browser. Um, but if we can get them to install the browser, I think we can get them to install uh, a wallet, something like a zap, um, uh, and then, you know, have that wallet communicate with the browser and our extension overlays like the dissenter, uh, extension right now overlays on Twitter, on YouTube, et cetera. So you can like mm -hmm. dissent individual tweets, dissent individual, 
YouTube links. Um, there's a button. We can actually put a button over the entire internet. And I think that we can do that with payments as well, where we can put, you know, a, uh, um, uh, send this person money uh, through Zap, through through the back to their Gab account, and just attach a uh, a, a Gab wallet to to every Gab account and go from there. I love this. This is what this is what I've been waiting for. It's, <laughs> it's early. It's early. Like it's. Uh, I think it's super super early, right? And the technology is is probably not quite there yet. Uh, let's be honest. But the promise is, and um, you know, the ability to experiment and to to test out different ideas and stuff. I mean, once you get the combination of the access technology, which is the browser, and the payment infrastructure, which is something like a Lightning, and you pair those two together, it, the, the, the opportunity becomes limitless in terms of what you can do. You can do a marketplace, you can do an app store, you can do tipping, you can do a, a Patreon-style subscription service. I mean, there, it's, it's limitless. Um, so I, I think that's what's really exciting, and that's kind of the next step for the browser is, um, is figuring out how that works and what it looks like and um, uh, what the first iteration of that is going to be. It's crazy how creative you can get with it. So for the website that we launched last week, tftc.io, go check it out. Uh, we have a page called the Dime Bag where we're where we're experimenting with little <laughs> ten cent microtransactions. So like the first tool we made uh, was a final thought generator. Random. I have a final thought in every newsletter. We wrote a scraper to scrape the final thoughts, and you pay ten Randomize cents. It randomizes it has a link to the article just a fun way to interact right. with content but this was impossible before bitcoin right exactly and no, it's uh, the other thing too i think um that shitcoin companies should should be aware of is especially if they're open source is you can do exactly what we did like if you have anything interesting about what you're doing like say a browser that blocks ads and trackers and happens to have a shitcoin in it somebody can come along and fork it and integrate bitcoin and now your shitcoin is useless right like, <laughs> any any project that is doing something like any anything interesting is susceptible to this so it seems like you're uh, a monetary maximalist a bitcoin realist how did <laughs> you uh how did you not get swept up in the shitcoinery uh yeah here so we can do my uh, my bitcoin origin story now right? let's do it yeah uh, what's your tale sure uh so i uh i got into bitcoin in uh 2012 2013 and I was actually originally mining. I had a boss. I had about forty-five rigs in the basement with with one of my one of my buddies, and uh, we didn't have to pay a heating bill that winter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was so, we had like fan. We actually had fans going. I mean, I, you know, you live in Pennsylvania; it gets pretty cold during the winters. But um, we actually had to have fans running to to keep the basement cooled down. It was hilarious. But it was a good time. It was a good learning experience, and uh, it it got me exposed to to the fundamentals of of Bitcoin, like understanding mining and, and how it works and what is this thing? Like what is, uh, what is going on here? And then I, um, I, I wrote, actually there's an article in uh, Coindesk from 2013 from me. There was a, a subway in Allentown, which was about you know an hour from me. Uh, that was accepting Bitcoin, and it was one of the first like. I remember this article. Remember this? Uh, yes, yeah. it, it was. Um, it was one of the first uh, real-world businesses that I was aware of, that was and especially that was like a major chain that was accepting Bitcoin. So I was like, I, I, I have to go there just to like say I bought a, a Subway sandwich for uh, for in Bitcoin, and uh, I recorded the experience and uh, I, I wrote about this. it and stuff and. Yeah. I, I think that uh, that sub is now worth like a couple thousand dollars, but 
<laughs> it was worth it because you know you have to if we're not going to use it if everybody's going to hodl and not use it to transact then it's not going to go anywhere like people actually have to use it um not everybody can just sit on it and hope it goes up uh the transaction volume is is important and the actual real world use case uh outside of you know a, a store or a transfer of money of large transfer of money is important um so i don't regret doing that but that that was my my intro and then I never, I never really got into shitcoins at all, to be honest. Um, you know, none of it was really interesting to me. Uh, a lot of it uh, is vaporware. You know, we see just words on paper and nobody actually building anything. We see, you know, Ethereum, which is uh, allegedly, you know, the global supercomputer that can't handle 25,000 users on CryptoKitties without congesting the network. And it's just like if we were to integrate Ethereum uh, into Gab, we would probably explode the network instantly. <laughs> so it's like, you know, like build something that actually works and that has an interesting use case. I think smart contracts for like legal IP and stuff potentially have uh, an interesting uh, use case in the future. Um, I think it's still a little bit too early, uh, but nothing, nothing compares to, to the, gl the glorious Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think... Uh do you think there's a world in which Bitcoin can ever be usurped? Uh, what the flipping? Um, no, I, I just because <laughs> there's too many people that are too invested in it now. Um, the community is, is growing every day, and it's not just uh, you know normal plebs like you and I. It's uh, billionaires that are involved now, and they they don't let stuff happen to their money. Um, so I think that's actually a good thing. It's kind of like a defense mechanism for Bitcoin. Um, and I just, I don't see what could possibly do it. Like, I don't, like, you know, the greatest thing Satoshi ever did too was, was stay anonymous. Um, because, you know, we're seeing these forks now where these cult of personalities are, you know, the centralized figurehead of these forks and, uh, Bitcoin doesn't have that problem, right? There's, there's no centralized person that you can point to. Like, for example, when, um, there was that rumor that Vitalik had passed away. <laughs> uh, and it, it just tanked, right? Ethereum just tanked. Why? Mm -hmm. Like that's that's very telling. Um, you don't have that problem with Satoshi. Uh, you don't have that problem with the centralized figurehead where if he said something stupid or did something stupid or died, for example, God forbid, uh, it, it fucks everything up. Um, so I think uh, I don't think we're going to see a flipping anytime soon. Neither do I. Um, yeah, I'm a I'm a believer that. This is going to be winner take most. Bitcoin's Lindy effect has has gotten it to yeah. a certain point, and we're almost at a point. Hopefully, if we get Schnorr and Taproot and that stuff implemented to the protocol level, where we're done replacing parts and we're we're more tightening screws. Right. And, and like you said, I, I I've been saying more recently uh, that the decade mile marker is like huge psychologically for these Big billionaires time. and companies mm -hmm. coming into the fray. And it's just from a marketing standpoint too. Like you know, I can go to my grandma and be like, hey. Bitcoin. She's like, oh yeah, I know what that is. You know, I saw that on CBS or whatever. Well, she actually heard about it from me back in 2013. So she's been listening to me pitch Bitcoin to her for five or six years now. Um, but you know, you go to grandma and you say, hey, Tron. She's like, what? <laughs> like <laughs> movie? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Any normal person. Oh yeah, I saw that movie. <laughs> you know, like it's like, you know, or, uh, or ripple ripple. What? What are you, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Um, so that, that, uh, that psychological barrier of the 10 year mark is big. I agree. Um, the, the, the marketing aspects of it too. It's like, everybody knows what Bitcoin is now. Um, it's just getting them, uh, to easily be able to buy it and actually use it. That's the, the, the hurdle that we have right now. And mm -hmm. 
I, I think the rebranding part will help too. free speech money. You, you, you want to be able to support your creator that you like on the Internet, who is banned from PayPal, who is banned from Chase Bank, who is banned from uh, all these other payment processors. Well, then you're going to have to get Bitcoin. Um, and, and in our case, that's that's what we told our community. It's like, listen, we're banned from all these payment processors. If you want to support us and you do. You're going to have to learn about Bitcoin and you're going to have to get some and you're going to have to, you know, here's how you send it to us. Um, and we introduced a lot of our community members to Bitcoin for the first time, which I'm really proud of. No, that was, I got that email. It was an incredible email that you guys sent out. <laughs> and uh, no, it's, 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 thank you for all you've done to help Bitcoin adoption as a Bitcoiner myself. And uh, going back to like the messaging, I think Bitcoiners uh, are very good at memeing too. So digital gold, I think that's better than sound money. Uh, free speech money is obviously great. Mm. We start. We're starting stacking sats here um, <laughs> at Tales from the Crypt, and it seems like Bitcoiners are big memers, and that's uh, that's sort of the world we live in. Is is meme is the new propaganda and the new new way to to bring something into existence. Sure, sure. And that's uh, so the presidency. It's Donald Trump is a meme president. Absolutely. People are trying to meme Andrew Yang into the White House. They're trying to secure the bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's 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 in the city now. He's he's speaking at consensus. I heard. Yeah, he's uh, sitting down in Narage. Um, Interesting. And uh, but this this is again, this goes back to the free speech. Memes are starting to be like the NPC meme. Instagram it, is fact checking memes now. What do you mean? They announced that they are going to be fact checking memes. What does that even mean? How do you do that? I I assume that they're going to do it like uh, like YouTube is doing it, where YouTube is fact checking videos now too. Or if it's if it's a video about uh, a historical event, they will link to the Wikipedia page underneath the video, and there's no way for the creator to remove that. So I assume that um, if a meme is on Instagram, they're going to detect probably through machine learning, uh, AI, it's talking about this subject, link to this information about this subject, which is scary because Wikipedia is so bad that even far left academics tell their students not to cite it, not to use it. Um, you look at our Wikipedia page, for example, and it is literally camped on by communists. Like, and that's just not me calling them communists. Like, they, it's in their profile. It says they're Antifa, they're communists. Like, they sit on there all day long. And we have an admin, we have a former Wikimedia employee, and we have like two or three communists who call again self self identified communists who sit on the profile and just smear it with just whatever you know they want. Citing you know the New York Times said this, which is an opinion. This is the reality about Gab, and you know I will even. There are people that go in and like try to, to edit it and say, well, this is what Gab said. Like they published this information here, and they say, oh, that's a direct source. We can't we can't use that. So it's like you can't use a direct source from the company itself at like, for example, information that we filed with the SEC, which it's the real deal. You're not going to take this information. You're just going to take the opinion of this random New York Times writer as the reality and smear the page. So that, that, that when, if they're going to do that with every topic now on Instagram, on YouTube videos, etc., it's just propagandizing. You know, it's, it's, it's dangerous. Fact checking memes. What a time to be alive. How would you even fact check a meme? Memes are just like a picture. I don't know. In most parts, like I, I, most instances. It blows my mind. I don't know. Well, it's uh, it's scary. Again, it's scary. Like, this conversation's scaring the shit out of me. And uh, like, what? At what point do people? Like you said, like people are starting. There's more populist movements here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and stuff. But like, what is the tipping point? Do you think? Like, where people just throw their hands up, like, hey, this is. Not enough. fucking work. Yeah, enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think we're we're slowly getting there. 
Um, and, you know, I think people take for granted, like, it's not just, um, you know, popular influencer influencers who are getting banned and stuff. It's like, you know, I go down my corner bar and I hear people talking about, oh, I was, I was thrown in Facebook jail again. It's like normal people. Um, and they're going to get sick of it. You know, people, especially adult human beings, don't like being treated like children. And when you tell them not to do something, they're going to want to do it more. And they're going to start seeking out alternatives. I think um, we're going to inevitably see the balkanization of the Internet, um, where, you know, one side of the Internet is this corporate, you know, safe space. And the other is, um, you know, the free and open web that we've always known and loved. And uh, I am intent on leading that side of things uh, for as long as I can. Um, because, again, I don't want to grow up in a world where there's two or three companies deciding what we can talk about and, and what is news and who am I allowed to interact with on the Internet. Yeah. So what is, uh, what is a world in where we succeed look like, in which we succeed? Oh, well, I think, um, you know, Bitcoin adoption is crucial to that. I think uh, open source is going to be crucial to that. Um and I don't know, like, I don't think Facebook's ever going to just outright shut down. But I think that, um, you know, the best thing that we can do as, as normal individuals is just opt out, opt out of this matrix. And I think uh, the browser for us is, is a big part of that is like, stop using these browsers that are owned and controlled by these companies like Google Chrome, um, you know, even Firefox, they, they claim to be fighting for liberty and stuff while banning us off their ad on store and etc. Um, but, you know, I think um, getting people to kind of opt out of the matrix, you know, like uh, take take the red pill, opt out of the matrix and, and use products that are built by people who share your values. And um, the browser, again, is a big part of that for us because it's um, you're no longer using and being tracked by these companies. Number one, you're cutting off their ability to make money off of your data. Number two, and um, your experience is going to be faster and stuff. It's just a, ben a benefit. And hopefully we get you introduced to, to free speech money and then you don't have to be reliant on PayPal or a bank or anybody uh, to be able to uh, reward people that you care about and, um, uh, you know, talk about what you want to talk about without, um, you know, worrying about having a decade's worth of content and, and network effects that you've built up be shut down overnight. Um, so that's that's kind of the world that I think that we're going towards. No, we can't get there quick enough, in my opinion. And it's going to take time, though. <laughs> right? It's going to take five or ten years. But I, I don't – That see, that's that's the thing, too, is um, I think uh, people look at Gab and they're like, oh, they only have a million members, whatever. Uh, you know, this, there's this misnomer in tech where if you don't have, you know, hundreds of millions of users in a year or two, you're a failure. Um, I'm building for the long term. Uh, you look at somebody like Matt Drudge, for example, who – is one of the most traffic websites on the internet is one of the biggest referrers of traffic on the internet and he built that up and it, it hasn't changed in like 20 years it's a simple you know great aesthetic right yeah great 90s aesthetic um but he built that up over 20 years right it didn't happen overnight but now he's you know it's one of the biggest websites in the world uh and i look at gab as the same the same model you know we're building uh, for the long game here. Um, and uh, the censorship stuff, is, it's only going to get worse. It's its accelerating now, and it's, it's accelerating at a pace that I, even I didn't predict. Like, I knew it was going to get bad, but I didn't know it was going to get this bad this fast. And, um, you know, obviously that's good for our business, but um, it's not good for humanity. It's not good for uh, the free flow of information on the Internet and, and for civil liberties on the Internet. Um, but, Again, I'm doing something about it, and I hope to inspire other people to do something about it as well. 
think you are. I think I can be confident in saying that. I think you are inspiring other people. And, and no, I'm on a similar path. Like write the newsletter once a day, mm-hmm. slowly but surely. I don't have millions of users. I don't consider myself a failure at all. I like writing and right. building like an audience slowly but surely. Um, like shifting back to like the the landscape of politics in America today. Like that's why I'm into Bitcoin is because I think people have been given this false framing where it's like red versus blue and they're right. pitted against each other. And I believe wholeheartedly that it's a money problem. It's the mm-hmm. money and the creation of money, the access to the spigot of money creation, yep. proximity to the access of the spigot um, is sort of what's driving this inequality and this strife in our country more so than any Republican or democratic policies. Sure. Sure. And it's helping people realize that. And again, like South Park said it best, you're voting between a turd sandwich and a douchebag that really (laughs) aren't saying anything. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss, no matter what party it is. And that's the mission I'm on. This isn't a question or anything. It's a statement. Let's try to wake people up. Like the framing is off. You guys are fighting over something that really isn't the crux of the problem. Right. Let's, let's, Let's start learning about Bitcoin. Right, exactly. I think um, the other interesting thing, too, to me, is you go back to like 2011 uh, with the Occupy Wall Street movement on the left, um, you know, fighting against the corporations and the 1%. And, you know, then you have the Tea Party on the right fighting against big government and uh, let's make government smaller. And now you fast forward to 2019 and we see the left lobbying corporations (laughs) <laughs> to use their power to silence political opponents. And we see the right whining to government to do something about it. So it's just like this whole world has turned upside down on both the left and the right. And I don't think either of those things is the solution. And again, it's, it's um, you know, you see people on the right that are, uh, you know, begging government to do something. Well, what uh, both sides of the aisle uh, in Congress are owned by big tech. Uh, you know how many lobbying dollars are, are given to both sides? So it's it's all a dog and pony show. Uh, the government's not going to save us. The corporations are not going to save us. The only one that's going to save us is ourselves. And it's it's individuals like myself and like others who are building uh, real-world solutions to these problems that we're facing and that are going to get worse. Um, you know, picking, picking yourself up by your bootstraps, so to say, and, and taking the problem on head-on. And you know, it, you're not going to ha- not have adversity, right? Like we have been no platform from app stores, from payment processors, from hosting providers, you name it. Uh, but ultimately it has made us more anti-fragile. Um, I've got, I've got a list of every platform that you've been banned from. Oh, there's a lot. So payment bans, Stripe, PayPal, Square, BitPay, Coinbase, hosting, Joyent, Azure, Backblaze, Register, uh, Asia Registry, GoDaddy, App Stores, Apple App Store, Google Play, Mozilla, Google Chrome Extensions, Shopify, uh, third-party tools, Embedly, Help Scout, Pusher, crowdfunding websites, uh, Start in, in Engine LA, Start in Jilla, Start and, Engine, yeah, and uh, and Patreon, and then you can't do Twitter ads either. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot. <laughs> That's everything that we've been banned from. Uh, and there's probably more that I'm, I'm not thinking of there. But um, every single one of those, uh, when they happened, forced us to think outside the box and forced us to innovate and find a solution. So they think that they, aha, I got them now. Gav can't possibly get back online. We were offline for six days. Um, you know, we uh, our, our hosting provider gave us, I think it was 24 or 48 hours to find a new provider. And... Um, you talk to any uh, developer, 
about trying to transfer everything to a new hosting provider in 48 hours and they'll laugh at you. <laughs> it's like, so we, we, uh, uh, thank God we had uh, one of our guys who was just up around the clock, 16-hour days for like a week straight, and uh, got us back online on a new hosting provider. It was really a miracle. Seems like these are coordinated efforts. Yes, big time. Yeah, that's how is I, this? How are they able to coordinate? Oh, well, who's going to stop them, right? I mean, who's gonna, who's going to stop them? They all again are in the same place. Uh, they share the same values, the same political beliefs, etc. Um, so they're different companies on paper. Yes. But they really are a unified oligarchy in reality. And that's why I, I kind of laugh at people who are like, well, follow me on Instagram in case I get banned from Twitter. And it's like, ugh, like, are you that naive? Come on. And now we're starting to see Instagram actually was kind of a safe haven for a little bit where they really weren't doing the bans that like Facebook and Twitter were. And now they're starting to crack down even more. We're, we're starting to see like we just saw Milo, Alex Jones, all those people get banned. Um, because their networks were, were growing over there too. So and it fell a swoop too. Big fell swoop just out of nowhere. Yep. Not surprising. Again, it's going to continue happening. So it's, it's bold. It's very bold. And yeah. again, who were the consequences? There's no consequences. Why would they stop? Who, right. Who's doing anything about it? You know? Well, again, going back to like the entropy of freedom, like you have to, and fighting for it. Like I, I've been saying too, like, TSA airports, they are testing grounds to see how much shit yep. people will put up with. And exactly. It seems like it's seeping into the digital world now. Like, oh, more and more. You and guys more. are okay with these people just disappearing? Mm-hmm. We're Goodbye. Gonna, we're going to turn it up. And it's, again, frogs boiling in water. Mm-hmm. How do we wake the people the fuck up? Like, um, I, I, it may take a bigger ban, uh, might be a, a catalyst. Um, but I think it's, it's starting to compound now. Um, you know, at first it was just, oh, it's just the, it's just the Nazis on the far right, right? Like, quote unquote Nazis. But now it's, it's you know, Paul Joseph Watson is, is a, a classical liberal. And, you know, you look at his Instagram page and it was like selfies of him and his girlfriend. Like there wasn't, he didn't post anything political there and he got banned. So it's like people are starting to wake up, you know, James Woods, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of people know him as you know a, a famous actor or whatever. So it's like the normalization of even people that you would deem, quote unquote, untouchable celebrities, whatever. And they're getting banned. Um, you know, it's starting to wake a lot of people up. And I think um, hopefully people will reach a point where it's just enough and they're going to just check out and, and seek out alternatives or or I think they're going to check out of, of social media in general. I think we're going to see a large portion of, uh, of the population that is just like, I don't want to be on any social networks. And that's fine. Um, but there will be others who will seek out uh, like-minded communities. Um, uh, the balkanization, as I said. Uh, and our community is going to be the community that believes in freedom of expression and individual liberty and, and privacy. Yeah, well... It's a shame to see them doing this because, again, like the access to information on Twitter in particular. Like Twitter has been my favorite tool over the last decade, especially as a Bitcoiner, because you get mm-hmm. access to like some of the best Instant ideas. Instant information. Instant yeah. information. Mm-hmm. And it's, why would you try to throttle something that's so fucking beautiful and, and useful <laughs> at the end of the day? And it's it's a net positive for humanity. Like it is. This, yeah. This hate speech and stuff like that. And that's the other thing. The media fucking highlights these things and... It's really a micro, it's not even... They endorse it. They endorse, it's not even, a, it's a microcosm. It's a little, again, all about framing. You, you take a video of 20 neo-Nazis walking down the street and neo-Nazis are taking over America. Right, exactly. They don't, they're not representative of, of most people. Uh, yeah, a not great even, majority of most people. Yes. Yeah, like 99.9% of most people, right? Um, but, you know, it's it, the, the reason that they're endorsing it is because 
you know, people like Tim Pool, independent journalists, are, shout out Tim, shout out to Tim Pool, uh, are a threat to uh, their careers and to their power. Um, so yeah, of course they're gonna try to smear him, and which they have, uh, and and try to no platform him, which they've tried to do, and uh, attack him and whatever. And um, it's just a threat to their power. It's a threat to their careers and um, uh, their control over the narrative. So yeah. And actually, talking about people waking up, I think the podcasting world is a little uh, leading indicator that, like, podcasting in general, I've, this is obviously a podcast, but I started it uh, out of a want to share information I did not think was being shared or right. accessed by people. And, and Bitcoin in particular, like, the number of Bitcoin podcasts that are popping up is, like, disgusting. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. Like, even in other areas, it's it's individuals realizing, like, hey, I can be the news now. Yes, exactly. If I have good information and people want to come to it. Like, I, can, right. I don't need... We'll do it Blitzer. from your kitchen table. Yeah, we yep. can do it in a hotel room. Yep, it, well, exactly. <laughs> right? I think Mark Dice. It, he, I think he literally works from like his kitchen table every day, and you know he's got millions and millions of followers and fans and viewers. And um, you know the, the other thing is like we're not owned by anybody. You know what I mean? Like in our case, uh, we're owned by our users. You know, we did two crowdfunding rounds where we sold equity to our users, and they're our shareholders. Uh, so we answer to them. Um, and, and that is a net benefit because uh, it, it holds our feet to the fire uh, to stick by our principles. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, are owned. Um, a lot of famous voices are owned and people don't know that. So when they're all pushing the same agenda or the same narrative, there's a reason for that. You know, there's there's shadow money behind them that are, are pushing that agenda. How about the uh, Easter worshippers thing? Like Easter, how Easter how worship. weird was that that they were like all tweeted at the same time like there has to be somebody at the top like all right this is what we're talking about today yeah I guarantee they have like their you know we see these like Bitcoin Slack groups and stuff they probably have their own internal comms where they all you know all their comms people are all in one place and like okay what's the agenda today well how, what's our unified response on this and Easter worshippers as a Christian that was a uh, that was highly offensive it I, was highly offensive. That's the other thing that I have a problem with, too, right? If they want to have these hate speech policies, enforce them equally, right? So that means, you know, banning people who are being hateful towards Christians, banning people who are being hateful towards men, banning people who are hateful towards uh, white people. And they're not doing that. You know, there are certain groups and certain protected categories, quote unquote, that, um, uh, you know, they will punish you for saying anything, even criticism. Uh, and others that it's free free game, you know, you can threaten to kill white people and, and get away with it and not get banned and um, You know say Christians are scum or be hateful about them and, and have no consequences So if, if they're gonna have these rules uh, Enforce them equally, right? <laughs> you can say that the white people should be genocided and get get hired by the New York Times I was just gonna say you're gonna, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get hired by the New York Times, right? Absolutely insane Abs and Not banned and then verified on Twitter, too. It's like what what a world, <laughs> right? That's and how going back to the Easter worship thing, like how fucking sound deaf, how tone deaf are these people that to think like you could all tweet this out at once and be like people? No are one's gonna, gonna okay pick up it. on this, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one's gonna notice it. Everybody's saying the same thing. That's what gives me confidence that we we have a good chance of being successful in our endeavors because mm -hmm. these people are so again tone deaf and out of touch with reality. They are, yeah, and and people are waking up. Like people are smart. They're picking up on these patterns and they're saying like, what? Like, are you like, you know what I mean? It's like, what are you kidding me? Easter worshipers? Like, what does that even mean? Uh, do, I, do I worship the Easter bunny or something? Like, come on, uh, let's be real here. Um, so I, I think, 
you know, I'm, I'm optimistic about, I think a lot of people want to preach doom and gloom and uh, be negative and, oh, the, the world is burning. And I'm optimistic uh, because there, I know that there are other people out there like me who are building um, in, in particular in the Bitcoin community and in the open source community. Um, so I'm optimistic about the future. And I think that there will be others who, who also rise up and build and, and hopefully I can influence them to do so. I am too. I feel I feel like, I mean, the Great Awakening has been talked about a lot, but we're in the beginning of a renaissance of human potential, the likes of which mm-hmm. has never been seen. And, oh, yeah. And again, like the empowerment, people are becoming empowered. Like, holy shit, I can start my own podcast. Mm-hmm. I can hold my own private keys. I can use dissenter. Right. Like, it's... There's a lot. And it's exciting, right? It, it, it's And that's what makes me overall optimistic is, all right, these tools exist now. And there's no shutting Pandora's box. Right. It's just getting to work. And... Uh, you got to put in the work. That's the thing. Most yeah. people don't want to open up the terminal and, and, and write hello, hello world, right? No. Um, getting that far is, is a big step past what most people will do. Um, and, and again, you know, even five years ago, 10 years ago, we didn't have a lot of the open source technology that exists today. A lot of the tools that exist today where your most upfront cost is actually like incorporating for 150 bucks in a state to you know, start an LLC. You do that and uh, you, know, you plug in uh, all this open source technology and all these APIs and you can have a new product uh, you know, in a month if, if you put in the work. Um, so I, I hope that other people will start doing that. And I hope that we could um, uh, you know, c- kind of serve as the canary in the coal mine and hopefully one day provide infrastructure for others to build as well. Like we want to build our own uh, extension store um, for the browser and have developers be able to build their own apps for that. Um, stuff like that, that we can provide distribution, we can provide infrastructure um, for others who share our values and, and want to preserve liberty and individualism uh, and freedom of expression on the internet to be able to build um, alternatives to, to everything. Because that's, that's where it's looking like we're going. We, we see, you know, this week Microsoft Word uh, put, puts out, a, 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 they're going to start, uh, uh, I think, editing uh, recommendations for um, politically correct like recommendations for for word changes and stuff like that. what yeah so it's like you know they're even politicizing microsoft word now which is like how far are we gonna go here <laughs> you know, like <laughs> like I'm, i like people people are tweeting me they're like when are you building a free speech microsoft word and i'm like guys come <laughs> on. Like, i was like how <laughs> like i can't do it all you know like i can't build it all i mean if i have to i will but um uh, it started out, like I said, as just a social network, and now it's like, well, nope. You need hosting. You need infrastructure. You need payments. You need uh, a browser. You need all. And uh, thankfully, again, it's making us stronger. And, and hopefully, we can offer these tools and these distribution channels to, to other people who want to build and inspire them to build. Yeah. And so, building it, it's uh, it takes a lot of guts, right? As somebody, yeah. I was in Bitcoin world. I was a lurker for many years, mm-hmm. just in the background on Twitter, a few hundred followers, never right. really speaking up and took me a while to like develop the confidence i actually had to have like a a big life event traumatizing life event happen like light a fire into my ass be like Mm -hmm. all right i'm gonna start fucking building yeah you get one life right yeah exactly you gotta gotta live it vicariously so what would you recommend to somebody who's maybe like lurking or thinking about building but uh, doesn't have the confidence and right how Um, how would you it takes courage it really does it's it's not easy and it won't be easy but it's so rewarding and I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I love what I do every day. I love our community. I love fighting for something and building something that I believe in 
uh, and that I believe is essential for, for humanity and for freedom um, and for progress. Uh, you know, the thing that I would say is um, if you don't do it and if everybody cowers in fear, uh, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to get done. So, you know, it takes somebody to step up and, and push that first domino, um, which hopefully I've done. <laughs> and uh, uh, to, to be a mover, uh, to push that first domino over and inspire the other dominoes to, to fall in line and, and come out and, and uh, say, I'm not afraid. Um, and, and stand your ground too. this thing with um, apologizing for tweets that are 10 years old. You know, we see sports uh, sports people that are, uh, you know, when they were 14 years old, they tweeted out a thing. And I, I think that, you know, there, there's there's stuff that we say in the moment. Maybe maybe I was having a bad day. Uh, I'm not the same person that I was 10 years ago. I don't think any of us are. And this this you know, uh, this lynch mob of going after people for old tweets or whatever is, is absurd to me. It's, you shouldn't be afraid to fail. You shouldn't be afraid to say something that, uh, you might, uh, look back on and say, what was I thinking? You know, because then you'll never say anything, you know, you just, and we start to see this on Twitter now and stuff where people are self-censoring. Um, they're afraid to say certain things because they don't want to get banned. Um, you shouldn't be telling people to learn the code, all right? <laughs> yeah, that that's that that was absurd. And, oh, that that was that. It's uh, journalist privilege there. We lost a couple Bitcoiners to that to that to that <laughs> learn the code that. hashtag. Michael Bitstein, Michael Bitsy, <laughs> Michael Goldstein. I always mess up his last name. Had the perfect learn the code tweet. Or somebody I would, did. I saw that. I think I retweeted that. <laughs> yeah, when some journalist was like, "We need to block all these people." With the hashtag learn to code, it's like if you know how to use Twitter's API and you learn to code, yeah, you can if do you that. learn to code, you can do this, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. shout out Bitcoin carnivores, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I eat a lot of steak. Same. I'm an omnivore. Same. I eat a lot of steak. Yeah. I went full carnivore for a while. I might go back. Might it's go hard. Back. It's hard in this city in particular. Oh but yeah. Well, there's so much good food around you, man. Ugh. There's so much good food. Yeah. It's so much convenient food. Like yes. I, like yeah, I work at home. I work from my desk at home, and there's a Shake Shack down the street. And like sometimes <laughs> I'm just like, all right, Marty. Uh, see, I'm Italian, so I love the pasta. Oh. oh. Yeah. I've, I've been trying to. Uh, I like a chicken parm every once. Chicken parm's good. Every yeah. once in a while, with some good pasta. This is now a food podcast, folks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, again, like back to big. Like that's one thing that drives. Like there's finally, uh, again, before Bitcoin and before a lot of these open source technologies that are proliferating, I feel like reality, uh, humanity has been detached from reality. And mm -hmm. from an economics perspective, like the CPI doesn't make sense. The Fed has no idea what they're doing. <laughs> the like a lot of things that are reported are really have no connection to reality. Sure. And in the media as well, CNN, based fake news. Mm -hmm framing narratives and stuff right. like that to their advantage now we have twitter and bitcoins provided a common mission that i feel like has not existed on this planet in a while yeah it's, it's it's unifying um and and i think that's why we see a lot of overlap with the bitcoin community into what we're doing because uh most bitcoiners tend to be uh you know people that believe in individual liberty believe in freedom of expression um you know code is is free speech too um that's the other thing that we should be worried about is um, if they're going to start censoring speech and creating new rules around speech and attacking the First Amendment, they're inevitably going to attack code. 
Hate codes coming, freaks. Hate code. Well, that's actually, I mean, that's that's a narrative that's being pushed now. I mean, you see the, the drama in the Linux community with um, the SJWs uh, going yeah. after. The slave. Um, yeah. Trying to change the terminology yeah. and stuff. It, it just, oh, just absolutely insane. Like, why does everything have to be politicized? They made Linus apologize. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, Li- oh, he bent goodness. the knee, man. If there is one thing that I could, anybody can get from this podcast, stop apologizing. It's weakness. Why do you say this? It does not get you anywhere. It doesn't get you. You don't get points with the left for, you know, bending your knee to their demands and then apologizing for it. Uh, You have to stand strong and say, yeah, I said it. Maybe I don't agree with it now, but I don't apologize for it. And I'd say it again. Right. Like, just like, (laughs) F you. I don't care. Um, We got to have this this alpha attitude of, of just not caring about what the mob says um, and not bending to it because a lot of it is fake too. Like there's a lot of botnets that when people are in the outrage mob, the botnets will pick up on it and they'll go after that target just to make it look like, Oh, there's a lot of people that are really mad about this. So I better go and apologize. And it's like, it's fake. So much of it is a house of cards. It's not reality. Um, you know, I think that's the other thing we take for granted is people think that like every American is on Twitter. Well, reality is that there's only about 30 million alleged active accounts in the US. And of those, I would say probably a nice chunk are bots, uh, meaning they have US IPs, but they're automatically tweeting. They have like, they signed up for a horoscope app back in 2013, and it's been tweeting their horoscope every day ever since. And that's an active US user, right? Um, So reality, probably, you know, 15, 20 million tops. So like, that's not all of America. It's a very small subset of America. And um, it's not what all of Americans believe. So seeing it on Twitter does not, it's not an active reflection of what reality is. Trump's presidency proved that. I mean, you had, yes, you had this whole coalition That's, of three pillars of the four pillar system, basically saying that Hillary's going to win and middle That's America why they were was, so caught off guard. Middle because, America was like, nah. Well, in, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, like they were so caught off guard because everything that you would see on Twitter every day and on Facebook every day was like, Hillary's going to win and on TV every day and every medium. But that's not uh, an accurate reflection of what the populace was was thinking, clearly. Well, well, if most of the population isn't on these social networks, how did Russia infiltrate? Yeah, right. Two hundred accounts and one hundred thousand dollars in Facebook ads. I used to work in advertising. I was in ad tech for about five years in my last company. I will tell you one hundred thousand dollars in Facebook ads did not sway this election. <laughs> I will tell you that right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to break it to you, but that did not. And two hundred uh, uh, sock accounts from the Russians on, on Twitter did not influence the election. I'm sorry. I hate to break it to you, but no, it's. It goes back to like personal responsibility and extreme ownership. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to uh, allocate blame to something mm-hmm. that they perceive as a boogeyman, but it's like t- right. take some fucking personal responsibility. Like look, look, take a look inside. Right. Get your house in order and figure out why people are voting this way. Don't just try to blame. Clean a your room, botnet. as Jordan Peterson would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Clean your room. Um, yeah, it's. It, I think um, people want to look to the state. They want to look to. The corporations, which in a sense are now more powerful than a lot of states. I mean, you look at Facebook and it is worth more. It has more information than any state on earth um, and probably has more power than a lot of countries on earth. Uh, And we have to ask ourselves if that's a world we want to live in where corporations are, uh, you know, dictating uh, what civil liberties we're allowed to have on the Internet. And in in my case, that's not again, not a world that I want to live in. 
so that's why I'm building on the world that I want to see, which is individual liberty, freedom of expression, open source, um, user choice, you know, uh, free association. Uh, I talk a lot about freedom of speech, but I think freedom of association, as we when we started earlier, is often overlooked. Um, why do you think this? I don't know. I, I, I think this this concept of, of you know, looking to Big Brother to, to save the day, uh, whether Big Brother is the corporation or the government, has kind of, um, and this collectivist thinking, this group think, has uh, really just eliminated the whole concept of free association from people's minds because free association goes hand in hand with individualism and individual liberty and, and, and uh, taking, you know, control of your own, life and your own experience so i think when you eliminate the individualism uh it eliminates the oh wait i don't have to follow this person and i can take control and block them and mute this word or unfollow them or hey uh, put my phone down for five minutes you know (laughs) (laughs) so i I don't know i think that's that's all they all are kind of interconnected so i think that's part of the a symptom of of the larger broader issues Mm -hmm. if you were to give a advice to to an individual out there to sort of develop a framework through which to critically think based off your your history of studying philosophy like how would you how would you sort of because that's one thing we both went to jesuit schools the Mm -hmm. jesuits i went to jesuit high school and they were very keen on teaching us to think critically and Mm -hmm. and why messages were being framed a certain way and right um, interested to hear what you believe or what you think on this subject yeah um know what you don't know uh, you know, Socrates says, know thyself, uh, or at least we think he did because he never wrote anything down. We only know what, he, what we know from him from through Plato. Uh, know yourself enough to know what you don't know and, um, you know, seek out and surround yourself with people who are experts on those things. So uh, I'm not an engineer, for example. You know, I've dabbled in coding and stuff, but I frankly don't have the patience for it, right? And it's not something that I would be very good at. And I recognize that. So I surrounded myself with people who do know how to code and uh, are very good at it. And, um, you know, there's other things that I don't know a lot about and that I seek out people who are experts in those things to to learn. Um, So you have to know what you don't know and you have to know yourself enough to know what you don't know. So that's I guess that would be my advice. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And again, bringing it back to Bitcoin, Bitcoin sort of highlights this because it's so multifaceted, you know, computer science, economics, Mm -hmm. monetary history. And that's the beauty of the Bitcoin, quote unquote, community, Um, a community of people that like to talk about Bitcoin uh, is that each brings their own knowledge base. Mm -hmm. I studied economics. Like I I can't code either. I don't Mm -hmm. have the patience for it either. I I love going to talk to developers that are working at the protocol level to get their their view of how things are going. Mm -hmm. And then... um, well, it's, 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 it's economics, it's computer science, it's, it's a lot of philosophy, um, it's a lot of uh, political science as well. Um, so these things all overlap and you have experts in different verticals that all have this shared uh, value system that all are working towards the same goal. That's very powerful. And that's, that's what makes the Bitcoin community so powerful. It's like this global network of experts in all these different fields who all see the potential and all see, uh, are, are excited about it in different ways. You have economists that are excited about it for one reason. You have computer scientists that are excited about it for another. Uh, you have philosophy guys like me who are excited about it for just the philosophical aspect of it. So I think all those, those shared passions and those shared values coming together uh, towards a common goal, I don't think we've seen something like that on a global scale in a long time. And that's why it's so exciting for me is like, you know, you could be, um, you know, a kid, a 13 year old kid in India, 
who is excited about Bitcoin and um, can code up a project or can uh, contribute to the conversation uh, and, and add some value. There's That's a, exciting to me. Yeah, there's a 15-year-old out there who's been hacking all the hardware wallets. Right. Shamir, I believe his name is. I could be butchering that, but he's a 15-year-old, Anon, I believe, and he's hacked the treasure ledger multiple times. Unbelievable. And, and Unbelievable. He's contributing. Yep. And again, like like we both said, like this is a common mission that is waking people up. And me personally, I think I've met some of the smartest people I've met in my life just Absolutely. by being into this stuff and mm -hmm. absolutely it's rewarding and uh it's led me to this conversation today <laughs> which which has been thoroughly rewarding it's been a great conversation man yeah i appreciate you having me on thanks for coming by i don't want to take up too much of your weekend here you got a yeah magical crypto conference i gotta run over there yep um i'm not gonna make that i am about to interview jack Mahler later this interview freaks andrew before we part do you have a parting note for the freaks out there any words of wisdom uh, get on gab.com and buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty simple. Yeah. Good advice. Yep. Peace and love freaks.